We're continuing our series, actually finishing up our series today, titled Loving Like Jesus. And we've been all over the place with this uh, series as we've worked through the book of Matthew and focused on how do we, as followers of Jesus, learn to love like Jesus and to forgive like Jesus and to serve like Jesus. In fact, that was our message last week. If you missed it, it's available on the podcast. It's available on our YouTube channel. It's available on our Facebook page. And we talked about this idea that you can serve without loving, but you cannot love without serving. You cannot truly love, agape love, self-sacrificing love others without serving others. And Jesus showed us that and proved that to us. Today, we're going to finish the series with a message titled, Standing Firm in Love. Standing Firm in Love. We'll look at two different passages from Matthew, from Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, and then also Matthew 24, verses 9 through 14. We'll start with the one in Matthew 22, which many of you perhaps have just read. And I'll give you just a little bit of context um, as, as we go through this. He's been teaching, Jesus has been teaching, and the Pharisees and the scribes, which were kind of the religious elite of the day, have been trying to trap Jesus in his words, trying to, to catch Jesus, to get him to misspeak or to say something that would either discredit his ministry or would give them the proof that they needed in their minds uh, to, to have their trial and to take him out of ministry. And so uh, he has a pretty good interchange with the Sadducees, and he kind of silences them, and, and things are seeming to go fairly well as far as that's concerned. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 34, <clears throat> where we get this report. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so it's a familiar passage to a lot of people. It's the subject of many sermons. It's often, you know, the greatest commandment kind of stands out. And so when Jesus answers this question and he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, we think the key words in that are mind, soul, and strength. But in reality, the key word is all, all, and all. That Jesus is saying wholehearted surrender is the requirement, is the desire that he has, that is the greatest commandment. And if we do this, so many other commandments become completely unnecessary. And both of the commandments that he quotes are scriptural. They come from the Old Testament. The first comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and would have been very familiar to his audience. In fact, from the time that children were were verbal, were able to, to speak. They were memorizing this command. They were memorizing Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. They knew this. They knew this was the greatest command. And so there were no surprises here. But then 
He says, and a second is like it, or the second is like it. And by doing so, he almost equates the two together. And this was the paradigm shift. This was the part that they were not expecting. He quotes Leviticus 19, 18, and it's also repeated again in in verse 34 of, of Leviticus 19, when he says, you must love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the people, the, the Jewish people had gotten this idea, especially the religious leaders, that as long as you were loving God, you could trample on other people, and that was never part of God's plan. And so when he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and he elevates that, basically makes it equal to loving God. This was a paradigm-shifting concept for his audience. And then he makes a very significant, even amazing claim in verse 40. In verse 40, he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So basically, if you take your Bible and you thumb over to Matthew chapter 1, all of this is summarized with these two commands, love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love each other. He's saying all of this hangs on or depends upon these two commandments. If you do these, everything else is just showing you how to do these, how to love God and how to love your neighbors. And as I was reading through this passage last year in my Banding Together journal, just reading through, marching through Scripture one day at a time, one chapter at a time, the title of this entry was Loving Like Jesus. And it became the basis of this whole series and seeing how we're, we're getting insight into how to love like Jesus throughout the Gospel of Matthew and how when this crescendo moment sort of presents itself, Jesus makes this startling claim to his audience that all of the Old Testament hangs on these two commandments. And the ESV Study Bible points out something really good uh, in, in support of this, that basically the kingdom life that Jesus came to establish that he initiated, is summarized in these two commandments. It, it fulfills the deepest longings of human beings created in the image of God. Human beings created in the image of God have a longing to love God and to love each other. And then the fall came and everything got messed up and, and we got way off course with all of that. But if we have a desire to reflect God, to be living out our image-bearer identity with God... And to display His glory on earth, we do that by loving God and loving each other. That God is a God of love. We were made in the image of a God of love. And He invites us into fellowship with Him. And I've spoken many times about how the cross displays the vertical love that we see in this first commandment, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's a vertical line there, me and God. But there's also a horizontal line that's presented that is our love for one another. And so as we walk through life, we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and so our whole lives are to be what theologians call cruciform, a cross. Our lives are to be a cross with our love going up to God and our love going out to one another. If you've been here the whole time that I've been here, three and a half years, you've heard me talk about this on a regular basis. It's so important that we understand it. It's so important that we live this out and make this our priority. But I believe there's a deeper significance here. I believe there's a deeper significance in what Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 40. Because elsewhere in Scripture, we are told that in the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So these two verses in the opening to John's gospel are talking about Jesus. And they're saying that Jesus is the revelation of God, the fullness of the revelation of God, both the scriptural revelation, the divine speaking that is recorded in the law and the prophets, that Jesus himself is the word, that he is eternal, that he was with God in the beginning, that he is God, and that that word, Jesus Christ, came and made his dwelling among us. Theologians call this the incarnation, that he came into the flesh and walked and lived a human life and lived a perfect, sinless human life that none of us before him or since him have ever been able to accomplish. And in so doing, in so making his dwelling among us, he was truly Emmanuel, God with us. He came to us. He was the Word the eternal Word made flesh. Also in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He is the law and the prophets. He is the Word made flesh. The law and the prophets is simply the Hebrew designation for all of the Old Testament. The law being the first five books of Moses, and the prophets is everything else. And so when He says this, He's saying, I didn't come to abolish them. I didn't come to abolish myself. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus and the life he lived in the flesh among human beings is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It's the fulfillment. Everything points to Jesus. Jesus is present and visible in every book of the Old Testament. It all points to him, and he becomes the perfect representation of it. Hebrews says he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint or representation of his being. Jesus was God himself. Jesus was God's revelation himself, and Jesus displayed that perfectly. So Jesus was and is not only the Word of God, but he is the fulfillment of of God, the fulfillment of God's Word. It all points to Him, and He is the fulfillment. Why is that so important? Because He says right here in verse 40 that all the law and the prophets, His very self, hangs on these two commandments. And I couldn't escape the symbolism of the word hangs. I know other translations We'll say demand or, or uh, depends on, and that's, that's kind of what that means. But to, to hang on the cross, the vertical love of God and the horizontal love of God. We see Jesus hanging on the cross as the greatest act of love for God, but also the greatest act of love for others. That Jesus came with perfect love, perfect agape love for God. And he lived out perfect agape love for others. And so all the law and the prophets, Jesus himself hanging on the cross is the perfect picture of God's love for us, his willingness to come to this world and live a perfect sinless life and then to give that perfect sinless life as the payment for the, the sins of others. It's the perfect picture of his perfect love, not just for God, but also for us. 
And so as we reflect on this, as we reflect on the deep, deep symbolism, as we reflect on the deep importance of this, it gives new meaning to Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 24, that if anyone would come after me, he must, she must take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is saying we must take up our vertical love for God daily and follow him. See how he did it. Remember when we talked about learning from Jesus? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am lowly and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invited us to learn from him and to learn how to love God perfectly from him and to learn how to love each other perfectly. So we take up our vertical love for God daily. We do this through Bible, through prayer, through studying God's Word, through worship, through silence and solitude. When we say, God, you are first, when we set ourselves aside for the will of God to come into our lives more deeply, more purely, this is our vertical love, taking up the vertical part of our cross daily and following Jesus, because He did this perfectly and then taking up our horizontal love for others daily and seeing Jesus as the example for how we do that. We live this out in fellowship, in service to one another, through evangelism, spreading the good news, loving strangers, loving people that are far from God enough to share the good news with them and to live it out in front of them. Through mission, through living our lives on mission, joining God's mission of reconciliation to reconcile the world to Himself, that we join Him in that. These are all ways that we love others horizontally, and yet, if you're thinking about it, all of those are ways that we love God as well, because when we love others, we are loving God too. There's not a differentiation in His mind. When we choose to act in self-sacrificing ways for the good of others, God sees that as loving Him as well. And when we do it in His name, His kingdom expands through us. And so Jesus makes this really, really clear that our vertical love for God and our horizontal love for others, that He is the example of that and that all the law and the prophets, everything that has been written up to this point, everything that has been revealed up to this point hangs on those two commands, hangs on that cross. And yet I think he knew it would be difficult. He knew it would not be easy. Though it is simple, love God, love others. Four words. You'll find, if you go out and make that your life goal, that it says easy and does hard. That we get distracted. People are rude, right? They don't meet our expectations. They're impolite sometimes. They're unlovable sometimes or unlovely And it's in those moments that we find out if we are following Jesus or if we are following something or someone else. And so in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 11, Jesus teaches them that persecution will come. He tells them, you can expect this. And he's talking about the end times. He's talking about what's going to happen towards the end of all things, of of this world. And he says, then you will be handed over 
to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Do you know that there's persecution taking place in basically every nation of the world? Christians are hated within every nation of the world. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And so he's saying there's going to be Christians who will turn away from the faith because of the context that they find themselves in, and they'll start hating each other. Have we seen that happen? Has social media given us plenty of evidence of Christians turning away from the faith and hating one another? And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And so he's talking about end times persecution. He's talking about things that we can easily observe in 15 minutes scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. He's talking about suffering and persecution, and he's saying they are promised. They are promised. And so I almost titled this message, Suffering Like Jesus. Suffering Like Jesus. Jesus suffered on our behalf. And part of loving like Jesus is being willing to suffer like Jesus. And so I almost titled it Suffering Like Jesus and Still Loving Like Jesus. So you could consider that perhaps a subtitle to this message. Because he concludes this little passage, this little teaching, by saying in verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. It's disheartening to consider that because wickedness is increasing, the love of many will grow cold. There's so much wickedness around. And the love gets colder, and it stops being a burning hot passion. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He doesn't say that it is gone, but he says because wickedness is increasing, love is growing cold for many. The fear, the anger, the resentment, the shame cause the love to grow cold, cause despair to set in, cause hopelessness to set in, cause us to forget what else has been promised? What else has been declared over us? What else awaits us in eternity? And so I believe when he says that the love of many has grown cold, in verse 12, when he says in verse 13, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved, standing firm in love to the end. Because love is growing cold, but if we stand firm in love to the end, we'll be saved. Not necessarily saved from death, but saved through death. Do we realize as believers the promise that we have that salvation has come to us and that salvation is eternal salvation? It's not just salvation from these light and momentary troubles, as Paul calls them, but a salvation to an eternity with God. An eternity in His presence, an eternity where there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do we realize that? Do we remember that when difficulties come? Do we remember that when trials come? Do we remember that when persecution comes? That when we stand firm in love to the end, we will be saved. And, verse 14, don't miss this, this is the good news. As if verse 13 wasn't good enough, verse 14 tells us that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel will be proclaimed. The gospel will be proclaimed by those who stand firm in love, who do not allow their love to grow cold, but stand firm in love and find ways, as Paul told Timothy, to fan into flames 
The gift that was given is to fan that spark into flames. To not allow the wickedness that is increasing all around us to put it out. To put a wet blanket on it. To allow it to grow cold. But we fan it into flames. We pour fuel on that fire. We spend time in God's Word. We spend time in fellowship. We spend time learning and growing and stretching. And then we spend time serving. And we spend time on mission for God in this world. Sharing the faith that we have. Being a part of verse 14. Taking up our cross daily. And I believe that standing firm in love is the greatest preaching that 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 world out there, the people who are not in a church on Sunday morning, standing firm in love, loving at all costs, is the greatest sermon that we can preach. And I brought this in. I don't know if you can read this from the back row, but it's a little sign. And it says, the best sermons are lived, not preached. The best sermons are lived, not preached. And that was given to me at the end of about a 20-month construction project by the project manager for the construction company. And he said, man, we've been through a lot. And I've never heard you preach a sermon, but I've seen you preach one for the last 20 months. (laughs) And I said, man, I had my moments. I, got, I raised my voice a couple times. I said, he said, yeah, you did. But you lived out what you believed. And you always apologized if you got out of line or if you had something to apologize for. And when we can choose to stand firm in love, when we can choose to take up our cross daily, that is proclaiming the gospel. That is preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is declaring the good news. And so I don't want you to view this as one more command from Jesus. One more thing that Jesus tells us to do, and we've got to add that to our list. Stand firm in love. No. He didn't just give us a command. He gave us an example. He didn't just tell us what to do. He showed us how to do it. Jesus stood firm in love to the very end as they nailed Him to that cross. That cross that was the greatest display of vertical love for God and horizontal love for one another. And he suffered much, much more than we ever will because he was absolutely perfect. If there was anyone that should have gotten a pass, it was him. And instead, he took the greatest suffering imaginable. An author that I really appreciate and read a fair amount of her work, states it this way, my crosses are little and light. It's only when I forget Jesus' cross that I think otherwise. That the persecution that I have to endure, the, the difficulties and the trials, though they seem severe in the moment, the grief, though it seems severe in the moment, it is a sliver of eternity and Christ has purchased for me, for you, for us, a perfect eternity. So our crosses are little and light. They may feel heavy as we shuffle off this mortal toil, but they are small and they are light compared to His. And what His has accomplished for us gives us the hope to endure. And so I want to close With a life verse of mine, I have a couple. Maybe you do too. 
I've got a top three and then two or three more that cycle in and out of my top five, probably. But 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 58, Paul is concluding a wonderful argument on all that Christ has accomplished for us. And he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. What is the work of the Lord? It is loving people. That is what He came to do, to love God and to love others. And we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We stand firm in that love, love for God, love for each other. And we allow nothing to move us. No persecution, no increase of wickedness, no apathy on our own part. We feed that fire. We fan it into flames. And as we do so, we will find our bottom line is true. Jesus gives us the strength to stand firm in love. If you try to white-knuckle this, it's probably not going to go very well. But if you throw yourself on Jesus and you say, Jesus, teach me, show me, lead me, guide me, and give me the strength to stand firm in love, do not allow my love to grow cold. I believe that's a prayer he longs to answer. And we may need to pray it daily. We may need to pray it several times throughout the day. We might need to put it in our phone to remind us to pray it every hour depending on what we're going through. Because the storms of life, they hit us. And whether it's a storm of illness or it's a storm of financial difficulty or it's a storm of a relationship that's going sideways or a storm of grief, Jesus gives us the strength to stand firm in love. And whatever you're facing now, whatever you may face in the future, the persecution that may come, the difficulties that may come, when we may not, as, as believers, be able to legislate the protections that we've enjoyed for the last couple of centuries and persecution ramps up, Jesus will give us the strength to stand firm. And He will give us the strength to not allow our love for God or our love for others to grow cold, but to stand firm in love. And He will hold us fast. Because... As we stand firm in love, we are standing firm on the rock because He is love. God is love. We put our hope and our faith and our trust in Him. We love God as He loved God. We love others as He loved others. And He will hold us fast. Will you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Your Word. We are thankful that You came and You loved us perfectly. And that despite the many trials and the many difficulties and the persecution that you face, you stood firm in love. And so, Lord, I, I lift up those right now who are struggling. I lift up those who find themselves in one of the storms of life, whether there's sickness, whether there's grief, whether there's pressure coming from around them, whether there's persecution. May they stand firm in love. And Lord, as that persecution grows, as the challenges of following you increase, 
Not just globally, not just over there, Lord, but over here. Not just around the world, Lord, but around the corner. In our schools. When it gets harder and harder to stand firm in love, Lord, I pray that we will cling to you even tighter. When it gets harder at work or in the marketplace or in our neighborhoods or even in our families to stand firm in love, Lord, may we throw ourselves on the cross. May we find that you give us the strength to stand firm in love. And you've promised to save us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.